Joining us now, he is a former president of the PGA of America. He's an author in his own right, and we're going to talk a little golf, a little book, and then a little more golf. Ted Bishop joins us. Ted, what's going on? Hey, just enjoying a uh, rare sunny afternoon here in Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you, man. We've had a lot of rain here. I bet you've had uh, rain, snow, sleet. It's a good thing the post office delivers and all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh your your thoughts i'm sure you know tiger uh you know fairly well from the from starting up the uh the committee to uh, uh for the Ryder cup and all that stuff and being in, in meetings and whatnot uh what, what does this victory for you from tiger woods mean well i'll tell you what guys i think it's probably the uh the end of uh, the greatest uh, comeback in the history of sport to uh, look at where Tiger was at two or three years ago and to think that he came back and actually won his 15th major is really incredible. And uh, testimony to his hard work and perseverance, and uh, he certainly overcame a lot of obstacles. Yeah, you know, for me it was always if Tiger is able to practice, and I know know he wasn't going to be able to practice as much as he used to because, you know, I mean – he said it before. I think he outpracticed everybody for however many years, and I still think he probably outpractices a lot of people, um, but not as much as he's you know was able to before. But I, you know, I think that's the testament to everything else is that with everything that's going on. The sometimes the pain or knowing that the pain could be there, and, and the things that could go wrong. The amount of time and effort that he puts into this is more, most impressive to me. Yeah, I think so, but I think also the uh, mental hurdles that he had to overcome, and nobody will know what was going through his mind on that back nine yesterday, but when you look at the quality of shots that he hit on 15 and then 16, and uh, you look at really, I would say his short game, you know, by and large, was was pretty good the entire week, and I go back to uh, several years ago when some people thought that he, he might have the chipping yips and and he struggled with his putting on and off there were just there had to be a lot of demons going through even his head uh-huh. when it's been so long since uh you'd won a major and you know how much that had to mean to him and uh, for him to after he makes that birdie on 16 it's two quality shots on 17 and uh, you just i think at that point you knew he had it yeah. and he was back Ted, I think his drive and desire is far above, I mean, leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else on that tour after what I just saw this weekend. It's just incredible. Yeah, well, I, I totally agree with that. And at the same time, I mean, you guys know you've been around this game a long time. There's there's just certain things that can pop into everyone's head mm-hmm. under cert, you know, under circumstances. And, I mean, he's human, and uh, he had to be fighting off uh, some demons. There had to be a lot of emotion coming down the stretch. And, uh, you know, Molinari looked uh, like he had things well under control walking off the 11th green, and we saw all hell break loose again on the 12th hole there at Augusta. And, um, but even then, you know, there were there were some other people that popped up on the leaderboard, and uh, now all of a sudden it wasn't just Tiger and Molinari. And so all the people that he had to fight off coming down the stretch uh, it just was an incredible win, and I I remember very vividly Jack's win in '86, mm-hmm. and uh, not taking anything away from that because I thought that was the greatest I'd ever seen until yesterday. But I think Tiger uh, overcame a lot more and was in a whole lot uh, different spot than what Nicholas was when he won in '86. Uh, yeah, but it also for me shows that Tiger still plays the game differently and goes about it differently than everybody else. I mean, he played that back nine. 
I want to say all four days differently than everybody else. He never, for me, really all out attacked it like a lot of these guys do. He picked his spots. He hit it in certain places. He let things funnel around. He didn't challenge certain pins because he knew better. He made some 30-foot putts, which is what Tiger used to do. I mean, that was just the display that nobody else for me to even thinks about doing. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, he certainly looked like a guy that had won the Masters five times now. <laughs> he really did. <laughs> All right, so let's let's change over to this book. Um, the name of the the name of the book is Golf: The Untapped Market. Why the pros are failing to grow the game. And you were sent this book a while back, and and uh, it kind of sat around on your desk. And uh, it sounds like you were heading out on a trip down to Florida, and you grabbed it just for something to read because you didn't have anything else. Well, that's exactly right. And the uh, the title did catch my eye, and uh, it was several weeks before I actually uh, took the time to read it. And once I got into the book written by uh, Chuck Thompson. I'll tell you what, guys, it was the most uh, brutally honest and informative book that I had ever read on the golf industry. And I think that particularly those of us in public golf, um, you know, we have tried a lot of different things over the years to try to to grow the game at our facilities. And uh, I get back to when I was vice president of the PGA of America and we hired the Boston Consulting Group to uh, come in and do a growth of the game study for the PGA of America. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, the information that uh, Boston came up with and how they identified certain groups of players was in Chuck Thompson's book. But what Chuck Thompson showed me how to do as an operator was to go out and attract the casual and non-golfers. And these are people that will play – 12 rounds of golf or less a year. It doesn't mean that they're inexperienced players. It doesn't mean that they're uh, bad players. It just means that their lifestyles are such that they're only going to play that many times a year. And uh, because of reading this book and following uh, Chuck's instructions from a marketing standpoint, uh, you know, we were able to attract those those players at our facility last year. And, uh, you know, in 2017, I've got 27 holes. We played just over 30,000 rounds, which means we were running at about 32% capacity. And last year, after implementing the MMC program, we played 48,400 rounds, saw our, our rounds played go up. 60% saw our revenues go up uh, about 25% from an operational standpoint. And uh, the guy's an absolute genius. And I would encourage uh, anybody that's interested in the business or who is running a facility and uh, is, is looking for ways to increase your business and bring more players and dollars into your facility, you ought to pick that book up and read it. So what was the special sauce that, that, that was involved with this to get, you know, 16,000 more rounds of golf in a year? That's amazing, Ted. Well, it was, it, you know, it was volume. And basically what we did here at my facility, and, I, you know, I'm a medium-priced public golf course in central Indiana. I mean, my rack rate on the weekends is $51 for 18 holes, and that includes a cart. But uh, we sold a, a two-year membership for $198, mm-hmm. and that gave the uh, golfer unlimited green fees Monday through Friday, anytime, no restrictions, and after 11 o'clock on Saturday and Sunday. And if you look at the typical public golf tee sheets, most golf courses could stand all the play they could, uh, could have Monday through Friday, 
and uh, and certainly in the afternoons on the weekends. And uh, basically, Thompson's program used the greens fee as the lost leader. And these people came in, they rented carts, they bought merchandise, they bought food and beverage out of my snack bar, and uh, we basically put bodies in empty tea times and generated revenue and, uh, and, and, and sold a lot of these memberships uh, when we kicked off this MMC campaign. I mean, a lot of these memberships. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at Matt going, he just told me $200 and I can play you know, I can play all week and then I can play Saturday and Sunday afternoon when, you know, you have some downtime in between, I guess, the morning rounds and the late afternoon people. That's the, from, I've always that's seen that I as want, prime time. That's what I want. That's exactly when I want to play on the weekend. Uh, how many of those members, how many of those 198ers did you sell? We sold a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that Thousands. makes well you know when you look at it from a car dealer pers- car dealership perspective that's how they do it they right. they they advertise the lost leader car and then when you get there they want to upcharge you to the higher models and sell you the floor mats and sell you the GPS and all the bells and the whistles and before you walk out of there you know you've done all that stuff I guess that's to your point is you're you're getting them on site and you're selling all that other stuff to them well and I think but the other great thing was we, you know we were able to take. Uh, we raised a substantial amount of capital, okay? I mean, uh, right. close to a million dollars in the membership sales. And then we were able to go out and buy a bunch of new turf equipment, which we needed, do some, you know, bunker renovations on the golf course, really enhance the experience uh, for everybody that played here. And, you know, the interesting thing is my full golf members are paying between 2500 to 3500 a year to play here. And, uh, you know, one of the concerns I have is, okay, well, I wonder how many of those people are going to convert to this other membership. But, you know, because of the access that they had, unlimited, uh, because they're able to book tee times seven days in advance, this new membership uh, opportunity that we had, they had three days in advance that they could book tee times. There were some restrictions that, that certainly went along with, uh, you know, with that membership program. And, uh the great thing of it is we virtually lost none of those full golf members wow. and, uh, and they all enjoyed the, uh, the enhancements and the upgrade to the facility. And, uh, our golf course is so much better off today than we were two years ago. It's not funny. And we owe it all to Chuck Thompson and MMC. So, so if I'm hearing you right, the untapped market is simply the guy, the casual player that's going to play less than 12 rounds a year. That's the untapped market. And then you capitalize on them by your marketing efforts of what you did. Is that is that am I right, Ted? No, I think you're, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, in, in public golf, uh, we spent a lot of uh, a lot of time and money just trying to steal somebody else's customers yeah. and trying to get the avid and core golfers to quit playing somewhere and, and and come and play our course. And the beauty of it is, I would say close to ninety percent of these MMC acquired players that we attracted here at the Legends were new customers. They were people that were not in our database. And, uh, you know, they feel like they're members here. They, they take pride in being part of our facility. And we've really worked hard uh, over the last year and a half to try to develop loyalty with them as customers and, and treat them well and give them a great product in hopes that, uh, you know, when this membership is up, that, uh, you know, they'll, they'll rejoin here and they'll be, you know, part of our program for many, many years. Now, what's your, what's your feel for those members that are on this two-year program that 
you know, let's say played 12 rounds or less. I mean, do they stay to that because they're now members and they feel a part of something? Does that jump up a little bit? What percentage of those people maybe jump up a little bit, which obviously helps you out because now they're renting a few more carts and they're buying a few more snacks and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I it, it, you, you definitely uh, see some of that. And where we really saw it was in our instructional programs. You know, we, we've now got, uh, well, last year we had uh, 72 kids in our PGA Junior League program, and uh, a lot of those were from families that uh, took advantage of this membership. But we're seeing it with our Get Golf Ready participation. We're seeing it with our women's participation. We've been able to create a couple of new programs that, you know, has really enhanced the number of women that play here. Same thing's true with couples golf. I mean, just across the board. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the other thing that we had going for us is, I mean, we do have a quality facility. We were a four-star golf digest facility. I think our reputation was good. And and people looked at this membership opportunity as, wow, this is, I I never thought I would be able to to play a place like the Legends for for this type of fee. And uh, so consumers took advantage of this and and when i say consumers these might have been people that were only playing five or six rounds of golf and uh it's been really fun uh and it, the, the great thing of it is not a lot of operators can get out of the box and can see this and when you start talking about casual and non-golfers you know red flags go up in their mind and they're like oh those are people i don't want on my golf course because mm-hmm. they don't know how to play they're going to tear the place up and it couldn't be any further from the truth that is a classification of players based on the number of rounds they play per year and uh we're loving every bit of it here Mm, that is unbelievable ted well one more thing before we let you go and i kind of want to get back to the pga tour uh you think all of these uh youngins are regretting the fact that uh, they all kept saying that they really want to see tiger come back and play good again (laughs) you know uh that's a great question and no i don't i think it was pretty uh evident when you saw all the guys that were hanging around outside yeah. the clubhouse waiting to congratulate him uh i they they appreciate what he's he's done for golf and uh you know i heard curtis strange interviewed today on uh Golic and wingo and they asked him uh he, if curtis thought that uh tiger would have a great chance to win at beth page and and i would give you the same response that, that he did Let's, let's let's take a step backwards, guys. Let's let's enjoy yesterday for what it was. It, I mean, it may never happen again. It may happen again. But what you saw yesterday was one of the greatest accomplishments in all of sport. And you know what? If if he never wins another major, he gave us a thrill yesterday that we've never had in our golfing lives. Well, Ted, uh, we always appreciate you coming on with us. We always learn some great stuff from you, and uh, we did this week, and uh, we'll, I'm sure, talk to you again as we uh, either get close to Beth Page. Uh, I'm sure we'll get you on. Yeah, I'll give you some good insight on Beth Page. All right, we'll, we'll be ready for it. Thanks a lot, man. All right, see you. Thanks. Thanks.